Welcome. This is Radio Zaza, uh, which is short for Radio Zaddy. Uh, this is your place for a queer introduction to the queer, queer world that we live in. I'm Hannah Bestwick and I'm here with... Daisy Thurston-Gent. And um, yeah, we're going to be talking about some more queer stuff today. Uh, Daisy, Daisy, how are you? How are things? actually. Yeah, I'm pretty good, thank you. I've had a, uh, a good week of um, podcast research and I have a good week of social activities uh, before we're plunged back into our inevitable Yeah, the depths downfall. of darkness, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, what have you been up the to? endless winter. Um, just enjoying a bit of London, really. Um, mm. Starting to think about how to, if and how I can um, start to begin to leave the city, potentially. Whoa. Oh, whoa. Um, so just trying to enjoy the enjoy the throes of London life as it stands currently before yeah. maybe... And that's one of the re- like one of the reasons I came to London is to enjoy London life. And then they were like, "No, no more, only disease." And yeah, like, there will oh, be okay. no more London. <laughs> exactly. Um, so you know, it's life is changing. How about you? How are you? Feeling? I'm okay. I'm okay. I um, had a really nice weekend outside of London. Um, I went to Cambridge. I was cycling round with my partner, tending a garden, and then coming back to sort of to London and to the realities of COVID when we have this new new announcement that there will be no more fun for anybody. Um, and it's, it's sad. And it's important, obviously, because we need to protect the most vulnerable in our society. And that means that we don't get to go out and enjoy the fruits of London. But it's annoying. It's mm. frustrating. Do you think there's, uh, this consp- you know, there's the conspiracy theory that uh, Boris is going to be there to save Christmas at the end of the, at the, end of the year. My mum was saying this, she was like, I can already see it. He's going to have, you know, he's going to have Santa Claus, like, you know, Santa vibes. Yeah. He's, I don't know, maybe he has this idea of himself as this big um, saviour, but at the moment, I do think this will go on for quite a while. I don't think it's going to be over by the end of the year. There's no reason that it would, because... Covid doesn't know how calendar years works. Yeah, so it's um, nice of it to you know fuck up from the pubs after ten though. You know. Oh yeah, that's good. But to be honest, I'm always out of the pub by ten anyway because I'm like, oh, oh, is it that? Is it that time? I, I think, think I better go be asleep. Yeah, I don't think I've been outside of my house after 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 dark for for many moons. Exactly, but it's getting darker earlier, so we'll be out. Yeah, buckle down for winter. Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be writing and reading and podcasts exactly i Perfect. do need to order some books that i've got um lined up in my shopping list on on amazon staring at me oh, it's an expensive thing researching <laughs> queer stuff they make you pay for everything you can do a little mm. um kind of side uh side intro for book club side intro i don't know what one of those Ooh, is. maybe we should have a book <laughs> corner <laughs> yeah book corner maybe once a once a month we can do a little exactly what we've been reading but um so yeah this this week daisy i think i'm gonna go first um and i'm gonna be talking about queer cryptids mm. do you know what cryptid I, is? i don't know what a cryptid is so a cryptid is a term for the subject of cryptozoology cryptozoology is is the study of animals and, and beasts that are outside our understanding bigfoot nessie um someone called the, the mothman okay these yes. are all these are all what we call cryptids and they're outside our understanding of biology and understanding of what can and cannot exist <laughs> but people fervently believe that they do exist and there's all sorts of conspiracy theories yeah. and and groups that go around looking for these these cryptids um <laughs> We all know about Bigfoot. It's such a long-standing one. But did you know that the the Mothman of Point Pleasant is queer? And and that Nessie is gay and she has a girlfriend? (gasps) And did you hear that the Babadook is an LGBT icon? Yes. Yes. (laughs) So, well, I mean, some of you may know, uh, some of you may not know, but the... So, 
the reason that the Babadook is a queer icon is because he was, the Babadook film, this an Australian film, was accidentally categorised as an LGBT film on Netflix. Yes, yeah. And so everyone was like, oh, oh goodness. And and retrospectively, people started putting queer themes onto yeah, the Yeah, so the read, yeah, read the queer themes into it. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And that doesn't mean that they weren't there originally, but it just means that, it, you know, we can we can read our own experience into pretty much anything. <laughs> but I'm going to I'm going to sort of partially explain in in the depth that I w- I'm able to to convey. Obviously, I have like a high level view of this. High level is such a business word. <laughs> I have a view uh, have done some research and I have an understanding of the the subject matter, but it's you know there's so much out there. Please do feel free to investigate and a lot of this does exist in Tumblr and Twitter <laughs> and things like that. But yes, so although essential sources as es- well. essential <laughs> essential sources a lot of them were referenced in some of the articles I used today. So although the the thing with the Babadook was quickly quickly corrected obviously they noticed the issue when people pointed it out but um the damage was already done and before they knew it the Babadook was gay and he was being shipped with the the clown from it Pennywise <laughs> the dancing clown and they said that he was married and it ignited this whole popular Yeah, the work. internet did its work. It, exactly, it's a popular movement of of queer cryptids and it's not so we're calling these these cryptids but they're monsters okay so there's a lot of things about queer people that have been described as monstrous mm. you know we're outside of the norm the the um deviant darling yeah with deviant deviant lifestyles you've mentioned that before we're not the heteronormative cisgendered people um in society and often on the outskirts like cryptids um so we and there's a very long and, and, and very uncomfortable history with um, being called monsters and villains. The villains are often queer coded, and um, but it's important. What's important about this specific movement with queer cryptids is that it's at an age when internet culture is is very much alive mm. and inter- information is is flying around all over the place very very quickly lots of exchanges and memes oh my god the memes are amazing <laughs> and they develop they develop at such a fast pace that you need all this kind of back history of yeah, understanding yeah. the memes in order to understand the the queer cryptids you need a meme degree a meme degree and there are i'm fairly sure there is a degree you can do in like it's not called memeology but it's yeah. called something like that <laughs> but memography i don't know because it's it's a form of communication isn't it it's communicating i mean that's what i would pay 9 grand a year for to be up to so up to date that i could understand you know the latest memes exactly. you know tiktok all of that absolutely anyway. but one of the issues with um, one of the issues with doing degrees and, and really specializing in that particular field is as soon as you finish your knowledge is out of date which is really <laughs> annoying but yeah okay so sources i read an amazing article called um, an unknowable wilderness and analysis of cryptids as queer cultural iconography by um levy horde and i read um a more it's like tangentially related article called My Words to Victor Frankenstein Above the Village of Chamonix. I'm not sure if that's how you say it. Uh, Performing the Transgendered Rage, which was by Susan Stryker. And a BuzzFeed article on like, you know, how did how did cryptids become queer by John Paul Brahma. Uh, really good articles. I enjoyed reading all of them. Uh, Horde's article is a bit more like jovial. It, it's a, I think it's an undergrad article, but mm. it's it. It was very good, very well researched and referenced a lot of Tumblr and things like mm. that, which I found very entertaining. And Stryker's article is, is um, based on a lot more academic research, personal experience of being transgender and the kind of cruel treatment of trans mm. people and, and how that translates being to outcast, being yeah, yeah to being outcast. And also the, the kind of with her specific reference to Frankenstein about being a monster, a created mm. body, mm. you know, um, 
not not real not valid enough you know and so it was very very emotional and, and very intense but um yes That's so super interesting yeah it's I, I highly recommend it um so let's go on move onwards because i have a lot to say on this why are the cryptids queer um we've taken why have we taken two cryptids in such a way as to sort of bring them into the queer umbrella Adopting and why them. then have we referred to them compared them uh, labeled these monsters as our own mm. and they are very keenly a symbol of the what is misunderstood and we are often misunderstood as queer people gay and queer people have often been depicted as a real threat um, like much like cryptids a boogeyman ready to attack at any given moment um horde particularly mentions a 1950s public service film called boys beware which warned young boys that adult male homosexuals were waiting around every corner okay just like ready to make them gay or ready to like attack them so it, and that was you know it's a moral panic that grouped queer people with menaces perverts sex offenders pedophiles all yeah, these like yeah. really unfair um, comparisons to make to queer people who are just mm. living out their sort of consensual sexual relationships or uh, romantic relationships with other consenting queer people. Mm-hmm. So with the queer coding of villains, you know, we've got Scar who is very camp in The Lion King. We've got Jafar who, lo- like, was fantastic eyeliner <laughs> in Aladdin and things like that. We we reclaim that which is yeah. used to condemn us, okay? And we, sub- we it's a, I think Horde described it as a delicious sub- subversion of the rhetoric that historically yeah, yeah, yeah. has been put up against us. It, it's a recl- reclamation like we've just talked about before reclaiming the mm-hmm. words that were used to harm us in order to just to dispel their ability the um side note the the drag uh, drag queen me um i saw them do an incredible uh, disney uh, medley uh, homage um oh, the other day in person it was a great live performance That's so good. Um, but they did they were looking at disney um sort of male villains because mm. i think a lot of the female villains are obviously yeah referenced in drag and, and queer in queer culture but they were looking at the the male mm. ones like like scar and like jafar so it's just interesting yeah, that you yeah and, and like very very obviously as well like ursula is based mm-hmm. on a drag queen called divine mm-hmm. so it's, it was the inspiration was taken directly yeah. and obviously and like I don't know obviously taken from queer culture yeah, to be like this is this is evil and bad and yeah. not okay but it's kind of like our reclaiming of this is like oh you're going to call me a monster fine I'll show you a monster mm. and we're, we're saying like I'm no longer scared because I am what you're scared of and so you're scared of me Mm-hmm. Okay, and queerness has always mocked the mainstream ideas of what is normal, what is heteronormative, yeah. and things like that. Campness, as you talked about, Daisy, is a ridiculous, over-the-top expression of and like mimicry of these oppressive norms on society, and mocks the uh, social norms that they're born from. And to make cryptids clear, to can't make touch me, you know, I'm untouchable. Yeah, I'm doing it to myself. So what? Yeah. And to make cryptids queer is it's completely in line with the current like nihilistic, absurd humor and the illogical internet humour that you get. It just make, doesn't make any sense, but it's humorous because yeah. it doesn't make sense. And that's it's got part... to be playful. Exactly. And, and internet cult- queer internet culture is, is actually very playful because maybe we don't get to express ourselves in playful ways. <laughs> There's a lot of trauma as well, so I think... Uh... We, we express ourselves <laughs> in many ways. Yeah, any bit of, uh, any bit of good press. Mm. Is... <laughs> and it's fun. It's enjoyable and it's creative. So people will draw themselves as cryptids and me being and mm-hmm. be like, me as the local queer cryptid. <laughs> like because you're treated as an outsider and so you know, well, people treat me like I'm some kind of weird beast that appears every now and then mm. and queers everything up. So, so fine, you embrace fine. that. Yeah, you embrace it and you're like, This is me, I'm the boogeyman. <laughs> I'm not uh, and so it's it's like a small antidote for these um, 
fairly unbearable times. Mm. But then also, maybe it's a little bit deeper than that. So I read, um, as I was reading, you know, it's not just as simple as saying we're on the outside and cryptids are on the outside and so they're one of us. There's, um, there is many layered. And so while I was reading, I, I, you know, we're adding more meaning than there is necessarily there consciously, but that doesn't mean there's not unconscious meaning. Mm. Okay, so I don't know. I remember I remember this. There's been many things on the Internet saying we asked writers what the symbolism in their book meant. And they said that it didn't mean anything. But there's nothing to say that they weren't using symbolism that uh, of things that were going on in their everyday life subconsciously. You know, and we, you know, yeah. you can't stop people having subconscious thoughts and associations. Encryptids are like a real form of creative expression, self-representation, and it's um, it's also compared to like taking control of our image. Okay, people drawing themselves mm. as cryptids, people creating cryptid uh, personas for themselves, and it blurs the lines between sort of what's objective and true. Um, you know, Bigfoot isn't real. And 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 comparing that to what is real, like I'm I'm real, but I'm a queer, queer cryptid, and that's not mm. real. So like, who am I? You don't know, and that doesn't matter. You know, it's a way to it's a sort of real parallel in which to like the way in which our identities are often discounted. Mm. You know, they're they're discredited through news media and online discourse. You know, people having discussions yeah. saying, "Oh, what's it with all these different identities nowadays?" And you say, "Well, okay, fine. If you're gonna dismiss the identity of me being trans, mm-hmm. then fine." I'm the Babadook. Yeah. Then what are you going to do? And, yeah, um, I'm this creature. Yeah, you take it to this, the extreme in order to mock the argument. Yeah. And it's kind of like, is it, is it a straw man, they call it? Where you, you create an mm. argument, you take the argument to the extreme in order to mock it. Okay. You know, so you you make this this additional thing for people to attack that's not you. Yeah. You say, well, this, you know, you're just saying that I'm not anything so fine i'll be nothing and then yeah. and then what are you going to do you know cryptid is the kind of queer shield yes exactly so it's 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 owning the name calling and the judgment and it's dispelling mm. the power because if you make yourself undefinable then people can't argue with you so yeah. if you're a cryptid you're un- unarguable plus online communities like i said they're very playful mm. they're creative spaces and and it maybe it's just about sort of using what we have to 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 play with expression to play with ways that we want to look the way mm. we want to represent ourselves taking real ownership of our our self image online and to be honest i think there's probably quite a lot of overlap with furries but i didn't um I didn't go too deep into that <laughs> yeah. one because I've gone down rabbit holes before researching <laughs> furries and it is... Literal rabbit holes are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> the furry rabbit holes. Well, I um, on a side yeah, note... We just call them nightclubs, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I went... So in, in Bristol, there is a furry society and a lot of the... Me and my friend went on a bit of a, a research trip. One day. We were playing video games and we like sat around and chatted and then we were like doing research and like going in all these forums and having a look at this um, furry organisation, looking up some of the notable people in it mm-hmm. who were, you know, quite in the furry world, quite famous furries. Local heroes, yeah. Uh, local heroes, yeah. And, and quite a lot of them are queer. Yeah. And, and it's, it's kind of... It's a space of, to exist in. Yeah, it is a space to exist in. And it's a space where like you really do take full control of your image um and there's a we went to see the monthly furry walk because they they were supposed to do like a walk around bristol they all went in their big fursuits and kids would come and be like hey what's going on and um because you know anybody in a big animal suit 
is fun when you're yeah, a kid. Non- um, but very sadly, they didn't turn out on the day that we thought they were going to on their scheduled day. They didn't. They didn't do it in the end. But that's that's fine. I was really interested to see it, although. I don't necessarily think my motivations for doing so were totally kind. This mm. was a, a number of years ago and I, I've done some reflections since then. But yes, any, anyway, sorry. It's <laughs> going on a tangent there. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's it's playful. And it's there are some who suggest that, that the cryptid is in itself like a mockery of the micro-labels that, that we have going on. You know, there's, there's labels of LGBT, lesbian, gay, bi, trans, transgender... And then there's labels within that. And then there's labels within each of those mm. groups. And we're mm. each given like a different pigeonhole to sit in. And although in some ways that allows us to more easily express who we are because we have the word to describe what we are, it is in some ways dividing us further into all these subcategories, you know. And I think that there's there's something to be said there for being more, being careful about not not dividing ourselves too far because we still need to be community mm. to support each other because we we all experience discrimination based on our sexual or gender identity and if we separate ourselves too far from each other you know you, we need to be more more solidified mm. in our kind of um support of each other with this self self exploration um the internet does afford us like a creative space to explore and experiment through play and that's how we learn as well, isn't it? That's when, when you're a child, you learn through play. And a lot of us queer people have had our expression shut down yeah. at an early age and, and relighting that in our sort of later life through online play, playing with our image, playing with like, I'm a big scary monster and, and that sort of thing is, is it's, it's freeing, yeah. you know? And, and honestly, some of the drawings of these queer cryptids are so funny and they're so so good yeah such great drawings like one one article i read this um the buzzfeed article was saying that some of them should be in an art museum because they're so like they're so well done and and it is performative mm. okay total so. creative freedom and expression exactly really nice. and and the internet is so for better or for worse so unregulated mm-hmm. that you can you can just you can just express yourself in in ways in whatever way that you're feeling in, in a particular time and the queer cryptid as well is such like deep internet knowledge deep queer internet knowledge that it can help you sort of identify other queers (laughs) on your level okay so it has that performative nature so you can be online and be queer by signaling through this kind of knowledge Mm. not necessarily engaging fully with the cryptid queer cryptid trope but you can engage with the knowledge of the of the cryptozoological queerness without having to interrogate yourself or someone else too deeply mm-hmm. about who they are yeah okay so it means that you can instead of being like i'm gay and waving your little flag and joining in that way you can be like oh i know about the queer cryptos and people are like oh do you now <laughs> so you must be kind of queer yourself and then that kind of it means that you're yeah. sort of separated by it right and you're behind this computer and you, you're at a sort of safe distance and the unspoken signifier exactly unspoken and you know it, i don't know it's like like knowing about queer cryptids makes you a sort of card carrying member of yeah, the yeah, internet yeah. queers who spend their life on on the internet and that's very much a thing of sort of being an adolescent and i remember spending so much time on the internet when i was younger because mm-hmm. the outside world didn't reflect me yeah it didn't reflect my experience and so i sought online forums to discuss that i actually went on this uh, i went on this website called experience project Okay, I don't know. Have you heard of it? No. So it has all these forums where you share your experience of a particular topic. 
and yeah. you talk about it. And so I was um, between like 16 and 18. I was on these forums and reading people talk about being gay and like mm. wha- what's good about it or what's bad about it, what, what sort of issues you'll experience and that sort of thing and some raunchy, raunchy stuff too. Um, but it was where I could kind of learn about being a queer person in the world. It is a weird website though. And I, after like, after a couple of years of it, I developed a sort of friendship, a weird friendship with this much older guy who I think was probably a creep after a few very long uh, few months of sort of emailing him and getting kind of creeped out Mm. I stopped going on the website at all but regardless that was still that website was still my sort of introduction to queer people's experience but safety first exactly exactly be safe kids so yeah to, to sort of discuss this this sort of performative nature of the queer cryptid culture. I'll explain it a bit further because um, it's it, it detaches your engagement from like the internal truth. Mm. So if you're struggling with something as well, you don't have to address it directly and you can still explore it through this this online culture, this cryptid culture. And it allows you to access like the queer critique or the queer theoretical um, fun and does keep you tied in with that community to explore like other potential identities mm-hmm. and test them out without having to be tied down to any particular thing. You know, people want you to say like what you are. Are you gay? Are you trans? But you can just exist in this kind of nebulous space of queerness once you access this kind yeah, of yeah. queer, queer cryptids. And as well with cryptids, like they can be Let's anything. And you can make them anything. And they're bits of different animals glued together mm-hmm. in this idea. So it doesn't limit you by biology. It doesn't limit you by language. It just, it's everything and it's nothing at the same time. And it's wonderful. <laughs> I really enjoyed learning about this. And so it keeps you at a safe distance from your queerness if you need that. Mm-hmm. Right? Some people do. Some people are not ready, especially younger people who are just in the early stages of their journey. Mm. Um, but it's the signifier for those who want to have those yeah exactly and you can stumble on it and be like oh it's you know it's an interesting it's an interesting element and i hadn't thought about just imagining myself completely as a fictionalized thing Mm. and does it sit with me right does it not like oh but it's just a it's a fictionalized mythological thing Mm. you know so now i'm going to go into an area that i'm i'm a little bit more shaky on um it transgressive exceptionalism do you know what that is Please tell me. Okay, good. Because I didn't know what this is and I had to look it up. This is this is again something that Horde mentioned um, in their article, and it's described. It can be described as a practice of taking the moral high ground by claiming to be more oppressed than everybody else and to be more extraordinary. Okay, so you, it's like a holier than thou kind of approach, um, the queerer than thou, if you will. Okay, and the more in this kind of space. The weirder, the more queer you are, the more like defying of labels and the mm. the more cryptid you are, yeah. the better. You know, the higher your status by the um, the more, I don't know, creativity in your expression. Yeah. Okay, so by engaging with this this kind of queer cryptid culture, you're you're engaging with quote, a higher level of queerness. Okay. And so some people engage with it for that that particular reason. And the further you get from cis het kind of world, the more interesting you are to people. You know, the the weird weirdness of queer cryptids is an expression of the desire to be the most interesting or most unique person around. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of that's why there's the, the mm-hmm. super niche. Yeah, exactly. And actually bisexual people because there is this idea that bisexual people can appear straight, they mm-hmm. are seen as, as less exceptional. Yeah. You know, they have a quote 
choice to seem less queer yeah, and so they don't take off and exactly as if that's yeah. as if that's even any part of being bisexual mm-hmm. as if people will saying you look straight isn't oppression in itself yeah you know and so that's kind of this this exceptionalism you know you want to you uh, there's this aim to be the most you the most queer the most oppressed mm. which is a strange strange approach i understand where it comes from because it's like we're the outsiders and so who's the most outside yeah. oh i'm i'm the most outside of everything and so oh, i'm the most interesting and and there's um i can see where that comes from you know we're made to exist outside of normal society and and, and as a result we've like we've learned to love it mm. and we've created our own spaces um and and those spaces allow us freedom to um to uh, freedom from the need to assimilate and look less queer look more straight look more cis um and we seek these kind of more weird and wonderful ways of expression you know Mm. you can't turn up to your board meeting in full drag okay so you have to come to the queer spaces to do that i know it's terrible because it would be so much more interesting if my board meetings were chaired by a drag i would pay attention more I would pay so much more attention if that happened. Um, My eyes would not wander to the train tracks or wherever else <laughs> they go. Exactly. And there's, there's a pleasure in, in breaking that taboo, right? And it's it's exciting and exhilarating to be like, I'm doing what they don't want me to do. It's exciting and I'm very different. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, exactly. And And I feel like the sort of subversive culture of being different has kind of to me, I feel like it's peaked at cryptids. Maybe it hasn't. Maybe there's something more to come. Is there someone come. more aloof than Bigfoot? Exactly. Um, <laughs> but, you know, nothing's objective and nothing is definable within cryptids. You can't ever say, well, Bigfoot's a, a giant ape because no one's ever actually got a Bigfoot, uh, a confirmed Bigfoot specimen to check. And so similarly, we're like, we as queer people are, are undefinable. We're, we're uncaged, you know, unclaimable, but still mysterious and interesting and fabulous on many many levels yep. wild and and we engage with this wilderness and this freedom from the social constraints of um i've written here cishethood <laughs> i was going to write cishet dom like it, it just came across a slightly um bdsme but y- you know what i mean um because we we've been put outside so now we made outside better mm-hmm. okay um and i kind of you know maybe yeah, yeah. Yeah, uni- like unicorns and mermaids have always been associated with queerness. There's a, a, a trans organization called Mermaids, I Mermaid. think. And that's, um, you know, because it's because there is an, um, an attractiveness to to this mythological and making us feel special. Mm. But equally, you know, fairies. And that's are... an organization specifically for trans kids as well. Like, yeah, you know, for, teenagers for and young people. And like we want you want the experience of trans kids to be fun. Mm-hmm. You don't want it to be something super serious and be like the trans youth organization for learning about being trans. Yeah, you want it like to be like mermaids and like creatures. unicorns and things that people like people love unicorns. They're on the Scottish coats of coat of arms, but it is mythological and it is mm. really queer. Yeah. It's l- always depicted with rainbows, yeah, like yeah, a yeah. rainbow mane or just like a rainbow behind it. But that's far more positive than how a lot of um, trans people are portrayed in the media, which is, you know, as a body and as a yeah, a creature, like mm. a topic of conversation. Which yeah, is as, so if, damaging as if they're not as a young people. person growing. Yeah, they're described up, as that. things. And I was, yeah. I, yeah, just like fairies have been associated with queer men. You know, they're called a fairy, and witches always are queer. Not always are queer women, <laughs> but like that's the whole thing about being being a crone and being like a spinster because you're never married because you don't want to marry a man, and there wasn't another option, sort of thing. And 
these monsters threaten this sort of sensible, normal, heteronormative nuclear family. And there has always been a long tradition of reappropriating queer villainy to be our own. And these factors have, have like conspired us to, into a golden age, okay, of mm. queer cryptids. And and I just wanted to mention one or two. So there's obviously Mothman, who was yeah. um, it's a giant Mothman, yeah, as you can imagine. He tormented Point Pleasant in West Virginia for, in the 60s. Yeah. And people ship him with the clown, Pennywise the Dancing Clown. And then there's also Loch Ness Monster, who's depicted in some memes as being having a girlfriend. Or people, you know, write... Uh, short scripts of themselves getting married to the Mothman. Bigfoot is secretly <laughs> hiding in the woods because he's gay and society doesn't like gay people. Cabin in the woods. And then, and then there's also Shopping this wood. one that I, I, I just quite like this because she sounds very fabulous. It's the Flatwoods Monster, mm-hmm. who is in West Virginia as well. West Virginia apparently has quite a lot of cryptids. I think it's got a lot of forests, and that's where things live. <laughs> yeah. And the yeah, flat the more <laughs> exactly <laughs> the more forests, the more unknown the territory, the more likely you are to see something you don't understand. So the the Flatwoods monster left three children and one school teacher gagged for life. So as in they had a gag order put on them. But she stands ten foot tall with claws and a metallic body and has a a long skirt and a spade shaped collar. So I can just imagine her in this like <laughs> glorious outfit. She doesn't walk either. She floats, of course, with absolute glory. Um, but yes, so this that was just what I wanted to say about queer cryptids it's obviously not in incredible depth but i just think that it's such a, a many faceted approach to redefining ourselves and mm. and taking control of our depiction as monsters and being like oh i wonder what kind of monster i yeah, could be yeah. and being like you know stepping out as the local cryptid yeah and it's just it's just fun and it's just exciting and creative and yeah, i just yeah, yeah. love the creativity that comes out of the queer community yes yeah. so good so good yeah, I love performance art, and um, you know, especially in in drag and things like that, where they depict monsters, and the you know, monsters are celebrated, and I mm. think cryptids are a yeah, a yeah. fine, a fine example. And why do you think Medusa lived off in like a cave somewhere? It's because men were bothering her too much, and when yeah. they came, she turned them to turned stone. To stone. Like, we are. In some ways, cryptids, yeah. you know, people They're... don't understand, like, what are you? Who are you? Are you, like, a man or a woman? It's like, I am just me. Yeah. I am I'm your local cryptid. You never understand. Exactly. And I just, I thought it was so good. There's a reason that Halloween is our favourite holiday. Yeah. You know, universally, the queer holiday, it's Halloween. It is Halloween because it's, it's fun and you dress up and yeah. you, like, express yourself, right? And Very Halloween's good. coming up, so... by which i mean next month (laughs) yeah next month exactly spooky season coming up very good no problem thank you that was great that was uh, excellent 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 (laughs) imagine um so yeah i think actually i'm gonna focus a little bit also there was there was some more stuff about um requeering the wilderness so requeering the rewilding and i'm gonna focus on that in another episode because i also think that's very cool yeah like why do yeah why is kind of mis- misanthropy and, and taking yourself away into the woods, why is that associated with? Exactly. Um, yeah, why queers? do all the lesbians want to start a commune in the in the middle of the countryside? Yeah. Why do we have an obsession with cottagecore? <laughs> exactly. All right. Thank you. That was great. <sighs> no um, problem. I'm going to, I want to do, I'm going to go watch The Babadook on, um, oh, it's good. On Netflix. It's... Haven't seen it. Do watch it. It's, it's uh, actually a very good film. Yeah. So, um, cryptids are queer now. Just so you know, <laughs> we've got them. We've taken, we've adopted them into our clan. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, I am going to lower this brightness a just a smidge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in, okay, yeah, 
<laughs> Visibility uh, in... Trying to make a segue here. Yeah, no, I yeah. don't have it. I've done that thing again where uh, my topic is completely unrelated, but this is this is, uh, this is is how it happens. This happened. is a safe space. You can talk about whatever. Yeah, we um, we we don't tell each other what we're going to research before. Yeah. Um, so sometimes they align perfectly and sometimes they're completely, you know, other ends of the spectrum. Yeah, it's very much like we're researching what we're interested in at that time or, or something that we've we've thought about. Quite often I'm, I'm triggered by a meme, but I'm like, <laughs> hang on a second, and I start researching and things like that. So it's very much like yeah. personal interest. So obviously it won't always align, so that's mm. fine. So um, this week uh, I've been thinking about uh, queers and beer. Queer beer. Queer beer. Craft, so craft beer. What's not to like, right? Yeah. Uh, it's creative. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm attracted to craft. I'm attracted. Ooh. I'm attracted to craft beer because <laughs> of that word, uh, craft. Mm-hmm. Um, Queers love craft. Yeah. You know, an independent brewery that has bothered to create something mm. a little bit uh, different. Yeah, something unusual, on its own. Yeah, unusual flavours, you know, beautifully designed packaging, stylish brand concepts, and hopefully... Something uh, a bit more ethical in its mm. production. That's yeah, kind of yeah, what yeah. I expect um, from craft beer. So I wanted to look into how that relates to queer-owned breweries and, mm-hmm. and queer brewing and whether there is a connection and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my research, I came across the Queer Brewing Project, Ooh. Um, which is a non-profit co- collaborative brewing project promoting visibility of queer people in the beer world specifically in specifically the beer world, beer world yeah um the queer brewing project was established in 2018 by artist and beer writer lily Waite. and beer writer like a like a yeah like um so they write in um lots of like uh, magazines um and they have articles oh cool um kind of reviewing reviewing beer like but a food also... critic but like for beer yeah exactly a cool. beer critic yeah um and and blogger and now they kind of exclusively run the queer brewing project cool. um really cool. yeah it's really cool and this was an initiative uh born out of a need to see greater diversity acceptance and visibility in the brewing industries mm. so as part of and it all began um as part of manchester beer week mm-hmm. where lily hosted an art exhibition um at uh, Manchester's Marble Brewery mm-hmm. uh, and collaborated with them on a, a companion beer called Dinosaurs Will Die. Oh my god. Which and it's got this it's bright pink packaging. Um amazing. And the exhibition explores Lily's experiences as a queer trans woman existing in a problematic society and working in the straight cis male dominated beer industry. Mm. Um Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um so it was kind of about, you know, it was a personal project which is actually extended into um, this really important kind of movement and, um, you know, the dinosaurs will die can uh, design was based on one of Lily's paintings um, in the exhibition and featured a short blurb on the on the back explaining the link between the beer and the themes of the wider exhibition. Mm. And actually this was, you know, the f- one of the first times the word queer or trans had featured on any beer's branding ever. Wow, yeah. Um, and that visibility resonated with a number of ind- individuals across the beer industry and beyond. And since then, it's just taken off as this really great community and, and yeah. collaborative project. That's so cool. So, yeah, one small can, one giant leap. Uh, <laughs> The concept, you know, the concept's really simple. Queer Brewing Project collaborates with breweries across the world mm-hmm. to create a series of one-off unique craft beers that aim to elevate and importantly give back to the queer community. Yeah. Both through raising awareness and through charity partnerships. Yeah, do they raise money at, like for particular charities? Yeah, so That's they really donate cool. um all, you know, they donate proceeds to a different LGBT charity with each collaboration. Mhm. And I just want to give a couple of examples from their back catalogue that I thought were quite Yeah, meritwide. please do. If you're having a party and you're looking for some specific uh, yeah. queer beers, uh, 
here's here's the list. Uh, the first beer to be launched was Queer Royale, mm. a spritzy blackcurrant pale ale fermented on champagne yeast. Oh goodness! Um, in collaboration with Affinity Brew Company in Bermondsey, mm-hmm. um, and over forty venues took part uh, in this nationwide launch, and the proceeds of this beer were donated to Mind Out, which is a Brighton-based LGBT mental health charity. Yeah, um, and they all and they go on like this. You know, the next one was. Um, preferred pronouns which was selected as the official beer of the london craft beer festival 2019 that's really cool really cool yeah um uh, in collaboration with brick brewery in peckham and the london craft beer festival said that the preferred pronouns beer fit well with our aim of starting conversations through beer Mm. Um, and sales were donated to Gallop, uh, which is the uk's largest lgbtq anti-violence charity which you may have heard of Um, and from what i've read these collaborations are all centered around authentic partnerships companies that are dedicated to community engagement and keen to spread a message yes it's not just performative yeah. it's not like carling doing one on just with a with yeah, rainbow exactly. like label yeah it's about inclusivity and acceptance from the inside out you know starting within the company looking within themselves and collaborating with a, a, an authentic queer brand That's so cool yeah um the sheffield based uh out and about brewery mm-hmm. partnered with lily wait uh for sheffield beer week and mm-hmm. released not just a phase, um, <laughs> which true, um, yep, not just a phase, and uh, described the special release beer as a bunch of queers planting a flag in the ground that the LGBTQ movement across the beer industry is well, not just a phase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Um, and they've got you know great names, great packaging, um, but it's it's more than just you know great great flavors and great tasting beer. It's about that causing companies to to authentically collaborate yeah. with um, with the queer community, which I thought was great. Uh, the project's first overseas collaboration was with Copenhagen's People Like Us, mm-hmm. a socially focused brewery run and staffed by neurodiverse people. Mm-hmm. The beer's name was 11 Months, okay. uh, and that refers to the company's commitment to diversity and inclusivity all year round, and not just during a country's pride season. Yeah. Yep, something that I have a particular bugbear about, yeah. um, given my line of work, uh, you know, the idea of slapping just, a rainbow on yeah, it quit, like pink washing things just for that one month during and then pride immediately season it's gone afterwards exactly yeah and no, hoping for the best yeah um as a queer beer drinker myself i'm looking for something more than rainbows and glitter yeah glitter is great um but i'm looking to support companies that are genuinely committed to real yeah. change uh, you know by all means be proud be proud of improving your internal diversity initiatives mm-hmm. Uh, supporting your LGBT staff and mm-hmm. developing meaningful partnerships with LGBT organisations and charities for work that supports and champions the community the other 364 days of the year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was just, the more I was reading about the Queer Brewing Project, the more I was like, yeah, yeah, Lily, wait. And so far they have brewed 27 beers mm-hmm. in over 30 different collaborative uh, collaborations across the UK, Denmark, Norway, Germany, America, you know, breweries big and small. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've raised over £25,000 for charities across the world. Pretty fucking Jeez, cool. Wow, that's so good. You know, and that's an actual figure that you can, a tangible figure that you can look at and say, yep, this is what we have done. It's not yeah. just like, here's my rainbow, and I'm not really sure how I help the community, really, yeah, but, but here's a sandwich. A yeah. Yeah. Um, so they deserve all the credit and the good accolades. And have most recently been selected to partake in Cloudwater's Wayfinder initiative. Um, mm. Cloudwater are a really cool uh, brewery and um, kind of concept brewery uh, brand. That's cool. Um, so watch this space for great things to come. In an industry saturated by straight white men, mm-hmm. queer-led breweries do stand out. I would definitely notice a queer beer uh, if 
you know, if I read the back of a can and yeah. I saw it was a queer brew, I'd definitely note that, you know. Yeah, And yeah. I'd want to support that. Uh, I think it's a good thing that they do stand out. Lane Brew Company, which is one of the UK's fastest growing craft breweries, uh, offers brewing apprenticeships mm-hmm. um, that seek to attract and inspire budding brewers from diverse backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, to join its rapidly growing brewing operations and the scheme the apprenticeship scheme is called one for all and it's an 18 to 24 month program aimed at applicants that come from groups not currently represented in the brewing industry yeah um and this could be for reasons of gender uh, race sexuality disability or any other reason it's just saying we op- we want you and we yeah. want you you're even, welcome and you're wanted yeah we're not we're not exclusively looking for you know straight white men we're looking for we're looking for diversity yeah, and diversity brings creativity yeah you know it, it's good for your brand if nothing more having a diverse workforce yeah. means you will be more robust to like the changes in the industry that you're in yeah and queer people exist so of course you know there's a and whole beer. economical like but in benefit of engaging with that community yeah specifically um you know the company uh lane brew have also said that uh, they want to learn too um, which is super exciting. Yeah. More of this, uh, please. Another notable mention in the UK queer brewing scene is Proud Beer. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You may have come I think I've heard it. of Proud Beer, yeah. Um, it's a very fruity IPA, uh, popular in queer venues. And their mission statement, uh, which is super relevant, is uh, we wear our rainbow with pride, not for effect. Yeah. We celebrate queerness all year round. We give back to our community to build ourselves together. Already pretty good. Uh, Proud has community, our community in its heart and soul. Every time you choose our LGBTQIPA, you can send a direct donation to our charity partners. Proud is not a label, it's a statement. Proud is who we are and what we do. That's so good. Yeah. So good. It really does. You know, it feels like, you know, there's this this glorious month in the summer where everyone's talking about being queer, about being LGBT Mm -hmm. and inclusive. And then that's over, the selling opportunity's gone and, and it drops off the radar. And you're like, well, I'm still here. Yeah, I'm st- yep. I'm still here and I'm still being queer. So I'm not just around to spend money. Mm-hmm. If even if it's just that, I'm not here just to spend money in that one month. I want to be supporting queer industry all year round. Yeah, you know, definitely. Um, Ethan and Soren, who are um, the comp- the couple that founded Proud Beer, said kids don't get bullied in schools just in the months of June and July. So if you're genuinely serious about support, do it all year round and show it by the decisions you take as a business. Yeah. So it's a direct call out to say this is this is relevant all the time and queer people are, are living through this every single day of the year. Yeah. I first had Proud Beer at uh, Camden People's Theatre. Big up. Oh, that's so good. Um, and I was, you know, I was delighted to yeah. discover that some of the, the profit from each beer went directly to the charities mm. um, which they partner with, uh, which include Diversity Role Models, um, and the Terrace, uh, Terence Higgins Fund uh, Trust, sorry, the Terence Higgins Trust and the LGBT Foundation. Yeah. And that just made it even better. Yeah. Like, I was so happy to, you know, buy a, mo- buy a couple more and it was, you know, it's fairly cheap and you can get it online and this is definitely not a plug. Uh, yeah. But you can definitely... want to sponsor us. But yeah, um, yeah it's, I think it's, it's great because there's, there's things that you can do. You can donate to charities and things like that. But actually, if you're doing something anyway, buying beer... Why not buy one that is also contributing to a charity or to charities or to a greater, a sort of bigger picture? Mm. And if we all chose to 
use our our spending power because it is when you spend money i read this thing the other day that was saying if you when you spend money you're casting a vote for the kind of world you want to live in Mm. if you buy unethical goods you're saying i support this whereas if you if you choose brands that are purposefully ethical you're casting a vote to say i want to support ethical Mm. um industry i want my world to be better for everyone yeah definitely um i definitely agree and Something that comes out in that that quote by Ethan and, and Soren of, of Proud Beer is, you know, they're talking about rainbow capitalism. Mm. And I think that is what what I'm going to call it and what I'm going to um, go with it. Go with yeah, it. I'm going to go rainbow with capitalism. that. Um, you know, companies shamelessly profiting from pride. Yeah. And I think these queer brewing companies, their customers and their allies are all re- like recognising that beer, beer can be a tool for social change yeah. don't dismiss it you know it's a device at the very heart of social events and creative connectivity yeah companies such as proud are driving acceptance and visibility on the inside and brands around the world are recognizing the importance of a genuine allyship and activism you know there's this call from the queer community for brands to to engage properly and to not just wash the rainbow wash for the month of mm. july um or for lgbt history month or, or whatever it is you want genuine activism throughout the year yeah looking overseas brooklyn brewery who you will have heard of uh, for brooklyn lager um introduced the stonewall inn ipa partnering with the stonewall inn gives back initiative which and this beer is on tap at the stonewall inn um itself you know a venue that still hosts a variety of events by and for lgbt mm. people um for the community today it can be it can be really hard as a queer brand um in the time of rainbow washing and you know tokenism tokenistic tag-ons so what is what i liked what is nice to see here is that through line of celebrating queer history you know a venue like the stonewall inn which is so important so important where the the stonewall riot happened which you know is is kind of where we get pride from pride was a riot you know and that is you know for the for the brand for brooklyn to for brooklyn uh, brewery to partner with with that venue specifically is about engaging with the history mm, the roots yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and to, to put it you know to, to have it on tap there i think is yeah, yeah to it's, produce a it's, bit it's recognizing where we've come from not mm. just like where we are now and yeah like there are ways in which like qu- uh, queer people specific queer people are not as oppressed as they were but we've had to fight mm-hmm. so hard mm. yeah yeah and it's about engaging and partnering with the venue rather than purely profiting from it. Mm. So I am going to talk about uh, reputation, uh, representation gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Please tell um, me. A couple of blogs I found mentioned uh, Brewdog's No Label Beer. Mm-hmm. Um, being just, it wasn't overly negative, but it was just, you know, being just a bit of a flop. Mm. Um, for a company that, that describes themselves as craft beer for the people, um, the general consensus from the public is they just got it a little bit wrong mm. this time. Anyway, I'll let you make up your own mind. Here we go. So on their website, No Label is described as a beer that blurs boundaries between the binary worlds of lager and ale. The beer draws parallels with individuals who identify themselves in a similar, quote, non-binary way Mm. as neither exclusively male nor female, a community of people that is still largely under-acknowledged by society. So that's the first first quote. Um, A little bit kind of tapping into, they're talking about, the binary worlds of lager and ale, mm. which maybe isn't uh, as mm. as uh, disputed uh, as you know, male and female. Yeah, perhaps. yeah. Um, the next quote says, uh, 
No Label is the world's, world's first non-binary post-gender beer. Post-gender? Post-gender. Mm -hmm. uh, designed to reflect the diversity of the area and champion inclusivity. This 4.6% ABV Kulsch has been brewed with hops that have changed sex what? from female to male flowers prior to harvest. Uh, we have used these to emphasise that what? just like humans, what? beer can be whatever the hell it wants to be and proud of it. And that's the direct quote from the website. Okay. Oh, God. Uh, I'm sorry, but when did beer become gendered anyway? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not the same. <laughs> I just thought... Like, I see that they tried... Yeah, and like points for effort. Keep trying. I think their heart is in the right place, but this description honestly just made my skin crawl a little mm, bit. It's a bit. Weird. It's a little weird, isn't it? Like it just there's something off. It feels like there was no queer people involved in the creation of that. Yeah, you know, post gender beer. And so this beer uh, debuted at none other than the Soho location of uh, the Soho. Brewdog Bar mm. uh, on Poland Street, aka Gay Mecca. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a very calculated decision, yeah. um, and I don't, you know, I don't know enough about Brewdog as a as a brand. Um, I think you know they started quite independent, as far yeah. as I know, um, and have grown uh, phenomenally in the last couple of years. And I mean, they're doing great. well. They're yeah, doing very they're doing well. Very well. Yeah. And like, oh, they are suffering in COVID-19. Yep. But yeah, they're, they're a big brand. They're well known. Yeah. And I think, I just think this was maybe a bit more, a bit more nuance and authenticity needed here, perhaps. Yes. Yeah. But I just thought it was very interesting you know, how calculated it was to, to target. Um, so I think Brooklyn did it very well by partnering with the Stonewall Inn mm. um, for the Stonewall in IPA. And then I think Brewdog maybe have a little bit further to go. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to make uh, to make no label or to you know maybe scrap that. Yeah. Um, and and rebrand. Try again. Yeah, try again. Uh, anyway, if you're looking for any more information about queer queer beer, uh, I would definitely start by following Lily Waite, uh, who I mentioned earlier from mm -hmm, the Queer mm -hmm. Brewing Project on Twitter, uh, to stay up to date with their exciting future collaborations. I can't wait to see what comes next. I mean, it's only been going since 2018, so I'm. Um, especially now that they're partnering with Cloudwater, yeah. which, um, I mean, their beers are sexy as fuck, but they do go for about between seven and nine pounds a can. And uh, oh boy. boy, that does price some people out. It does price some people out. Um, and we've talked before about how, like, pricing is so important for inclusivity, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. Unless you've got a plan for turning all those cans into flower pots. Um, mm. I mean, they are beautiful. Some of the designs are really lovely. Yeah. Um, but as a kind of holistic brand, I think they um, they are doing some quite nice work. Uh, another blog I found was that of uh, Julia Davis, who is a transgender woman, professional brewer and avid blogger. Mm. Uh, she's got a Tumblr called Assigned Ale at Birth, which is great. <laughs> That's uh, so good. So follow that for some great posts on beer, pictures of cats protecting beer barrels. Good, um, love it. And her experiences and thoughts. Beers love on their the, cats. They do. They absolutely do. Um, um, yeah, so she has quite a lot of, you know, writes a lot of, mainly about beer, to be honest, and um, with the odd anecdote about uh, her life as a trans woman mm. um, in that industry specifically. And it's really nice to see these little, you know, pockets of, of queer queerness and queer culture kind of yeah. springing up in in the industry and yeah i mean let's set up a queer bar uh yeah. that exclusively stocks queer, queer, beers. queer beers queer led breweries uh, and exceptional allies of course yes of course um and that's exactly what i want to do with the rest of uh, my days yeah yeah that sounds so good because like 
yeah, these, I mean, as well, like, bars and, and pubs and things have been a safe haven for queer people. And, like, why not make our beers queer? Yeah. You know, make it inclusive. Make it mean something when you drink a beer. When you buy a beer uh, from a queer brand or a queer supporting bra- brand, you're supporting the environment that you're in mm. as well as your wider community. Yeah, I just question why there aren't more queer people, um, openly queer people, in in the brewery world. I, I wonder what it is that, that excludes queer people yeah well it is such a masculine industry Mm. it's so masculine and and that kind of masculinity excludes excludes queer people especially uh queer feminine people so Mm. women queer women and trans female and well trans male as well it's it is exclusive and it's like a really a really manly pursuit to enjoy beer and you get a big beard Mm. and you and you drink nice very special uh beers together and it's um yeah, I think that that actually queering it is a great thing. Mm. Yeah, thank you. No, that was really that was really great. I really enjoyed that. Lots of lots of facts, but I just think yeah, I'm so much more likely as a queer person to 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 choose some you know something yeah. off the shelf or from a fridge that is 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 I'm looking for you know I already like craft beer. I'm mm. already looking for that um, individuality and that unique unique branding that you get with with craft beer and on the craft scene. And I yeah. just think. It's an, un- an untapped, if you'll excuse the pun, <laughs> an untapped space, and I'm really excited to. I'm really excited that now I know about uh, Lily Waite and the mm. Queer Brewing Project um, to follow that journey and and see what else they um, come up with. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Because I, I just yeah, having having queer brands all year round is great. You know, because I, I I look for it. I I hear about things during Pride Week and I look for them later on in the year, and it's they're just not there. Mm. And you want something all year round. Like I love the so they're they're. Um, the so I look for these these queer uh, products that I want, but I don't I don't necessarily want to buy them straight away. So I don't buy them during during Pride Month and particularly like uh, the Converse All Star. They do a, a trainer that has like a rainbow sole, mm. you know, and I really like. I think it's really cool because like the the trainer on top is is normal, but then you, yeah. you look at the bottom and it's it's um, rainbow. But they only they only seem to produce them during the during Pride Month, and I really want them. Yeah. And I don't want to pay the like the yeah, hiked up price that they sell them for during Pride Month. I, I it's something that I want all year round and it's like am I not allowed? Is it not acceptable to want queer things outside of Pride Month? Yeah, where are the where's the queer stuff around Christmas? You know, yeah. where's the queer stuff around I want, Halloween? I want around queer there, Christmas presents to give people, yeah. The of, you know, the middle of winter and the middle of spring. Yeah. Yeah. I think queer yeah, queer brands um and queer owned and queer-led businesses is a whole different topic, yeah. but uh, beer is is one that I hadn't I hadn't tapped into and I hadn't thought about before. Yeah. So um, that's really cool. and I do drink a lot of beer, so I'm going to actively be looking. So yeah. if there are any queer breweries out there, I'm 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 open. I'm open to it. And if you are a, if you're based in West London and you sell craft beer and your fridges are unstocked with queer queer beer, um, yeah. please please consider putting some in the shops yeah all the players like, around tweet us your recommendations like i'm at he bestwick um on twitter so let me know if you've got a recommendation of a really good queer beer because i would love to look it up yeah west london fridges um and tap tap rooms hit me up uh daisy tg poetry let's do this yeah awesome thirsty. great thank you very much for listening take uh, care yeah see you later Bye-bye. bye